Welcome to Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd. Whether you're listening live on the Community Radio Network or via podcast, here's the show where you learn from experts, be inspired by journeys, and discover more about making your small business a success. I'm Alexi Boyd, broadcaster, advocate, and small business owner. Let's meet today's guest. So as councils and governments try and balance the needs of the environment, accessibility, urban infrastructure and private developments, small business can often be left the last in the consultation process. But if you've ever attended any kind of small business key stakeholder consultation group, the new networking event or even headed to a new venue in an unfamiliar area, you'll learn a key issue for small business is parking. And it's not just for retailers. So how does the government, enterprise and small business find the right balance in this important issue that can affect a small business's livelihood and make it fair? Well, funnily enough, there's an app for that. (laughs) Michael Doherty, Head of Business Development for Smarter City Solutions, joins us today to explain that with good research by government departments, a fair consultation process and an enterprising tech solution, the balance can be found which supports small business and the entire community in which we live. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thanks for having me, Alexi. It's great to have you in the studio. It's um, I, I, I do enjoy having people um, live, which is great, and it means that we can have a, a better chat. And this is a really important issue because the more I thought about it through the week, knowing that you were coming on the program, I realised that it doesn't just affect the bricks and mortar businesses. It doesn't just affect the concept of foot traffic or people who live near the beach or, or people who have market stalls. This is sort of an, an overarching problem that affects the entire community. But firstly, why is it so important to small businesses? I, I believe it's important to small businesses because it's it's the first step in the experience that a that a customer or a visitor to your to your business has. Um, the the large end of town, the the big shopping malls, they've uh, obviously got the the budgets to do the big research. And they know that when someone arrives at their shopping mall, the first thing the customer experiences is the car park. And that and that trickles all the way down to a very small business. And, and to your earlier comment, whether it's a, uh, an office where someone's coming to visit or whether it's a retail store where someone's coming to, to browse and make a purchase, um, you know, what sort of mood do you want the, uh, the visitor to be in when they walk in the door? Have they just, uh, you know, gone through too much time and too much grief or has it been nice and smooth is there parking available is it is it appropriately tariffed um you know it's it's a first impressions thing you're absolutely right i hadn't even thought about that because if you walk into a a shop that you've gone to specifically Mm. um which is what we want um and people are experiencing that level of frustration even before they've arrived in the door Mm. sometimes we'll vent and we'll explain that to the shop owners (laughs) like well i can't really control what's going on with council parking but i'll take it on notice and i'll mention it to my local counsellor if I've got that relationship like it's really something that I guess the small business can feel a little bit um, um, not only disheartened about but but disconnected with their local community what really can what a small business do at that point if the parking is inadequate around where they live yeah, and we're, and we're trying to take technology um, to address the problem. Um, you know, gone are the days where there's just a parking metre um, to pay for parking in areas where parking is paid. That's technology that's been around since around 1940, I think it was. And, and, and a bit of trivia, the first city in Australia to introduce a parking metre was Hobart. Hobart? 
Hobart. Well, we've picked that. A bit, bit of random trivia for you, talking about small business. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're about um, taking contemporary solutions. We live in the age of the cloud. Um, people can use an app to pay for parking. We've even got a, 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 a solution for the small business to sell prepaid cards for parking on, on essentially the behalf of us and the funds obviously go to the, to the parking provider, which is more often than not the, the local council. So... I, I really see technology as a as a glue that can can bring the motorist, the parking provider, the government, the business, bring 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 everyone together, and, and at the same time make that otherwise arduous process a pleasant process. In your negotiations with council, because um, mm. that's what Smarter City Solutions does, is it, it, it talks to councils and, and mm. tries to implement these tech solutions. Do you find that? they are considering small businesses in this approach or does it become more about looking after the needs of residents? Where does their, where do their, um, where, where does, you know, where, where, who are their allies? Who do they look after the most? I think, to be honest, they look after themselves. And, 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 <laughs> I was hoping you weren't going to say that. Yeah, what I mean by that, though, is they're, they're often just trying to address an operational issue within their own organisation. So, you know, having having people chalk tyres and then go out on workers' comp because they've got a back injury and this sort of thing, that's that's something that technology can can help with. We've, we've got solutions such as licence plate recognition that, that deals with that, for example. Um, that's That's really a burning issue inside the organisation and then follows the the political element. So, yes, um, the shopkeepers have said, why don't you do something about this old-fashioned parking process? Um, They've got to satisfy the the constituents, which, by and large, are are a combination of uh, the general public and and business owners. Because more and more councils want us to live, operate, um, you know, get our lunch, uh, you know, be in these areas and be in these local communities and exist there rather than commuting because you know we, we don't want to put extra strain on the on the um, the trains or the transport unnecessarily to go into the city so on the one hand they want us to remain in the areas but on the one other hand I suppose mm. parking and putting limitations on parking uh, stops us from spending um, the right amount of time in those places how do you balance that the, the timing issue it's it is a balance and, it, and it's yet to be struck in my opinion. So you've got different levels of government talking about things like the 15-minute city. Um, you know, should Sydney be broken up into three different areas, for example, using Sydney as an, as an example? Um, and, and yes, that that is needing to be balanced with the hub-and-spoke model. Should I be able to uh, get to a decent uh, commuter station near my home and then commute on the train into the big smoke and not need to, to, to park in town versus if I live in the outer west of Sydney, for example, should I be employed out there? Should I find everything I need out there? And does that need a high-speed rail link between my home and where I want to go? No, it doesn't. It it, it should be a case of I can hop in the car. There's a good infrastructure as far as road network. And when I get to my destination, again, there's good turnover of parking spaces, the process of of parking the car or, or, you know, parking the Uber or whatever it might be. Um, is is a streamlined one, and it's all fair and equitable, so that you know, parking's 
charged for what you use. And again, you know, this this concept of the old-fashioned parking ticket machine where you put money in and you've got a fear of getting a, a, an infringement so you overfeed the meter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, technology addresses, you know, little little elements like that as well. So, you know, we're just, we're just trying to take a, a whole bunch of benefits that technology brings to, to, to the act of parking and push them all forward through local government and, and, and let them and in turn the constituents and business owners enjoy the benefits. So one of the things I like about um, the, the Smarter City Solutions is the fact that you can top up even if you're sort of located in a, in a cafe or something and you go, oh, crap, I've come to the end of my two-hour limit. Hmm. I need a little bit more time to buy some more food and support a local small business. Yeah, that's, that's right. So I think we've all been there. We've, we've got to go to a, a business meeting. We've got to go and visit the dentist or whatever it might be. We're standing at the parking ticket machine going, how long is this actually going to take? It might take an hour and a half what the hell I'll put two and a half hours worth of money into this into this thing. And to your point, it's 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 a lot more fair and equitable to reuse that phrase. If I pull up, I press start on an app, I go and do what I've got to do, I come back to the car, I press stop, and then pro rata per minute is is the amount of money that I need to have paid for occupying that space. And, and I leave. Why, you know, why, why not implement those technologies across all council? Do you get pushback from council because they won't get that little cream on the extra bit? Because <laughs> people aren't parking for two and a half hours, they're parking for two hours and 16 minutes? <laughs> that, uh, that conversation has come up from time to time, but there is a flip side whereby someone popping into a cafe to quickly grab a takeaway coffee in the past would not have bothered uh, purchasing a ticket. They'll take the risk. They look up and down the street. They can't see the parking officer um, when you've got a start-stop app. It's, it's nothing to go start, wait in line for a coffee, grab the coffee, get back to the car, stop, pay 47 cents or whatever the, mm. the parking tariff is. So, yeah, things, things balance out what they, what they might have enjoyed as far as you know, unfair and not so equitable revenue with people overfeeding the metre gets, gets balanced out on the other side. So I want to ask you about that equitable question in relation to small business because, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, it feels as though their needs or consulting with small business or even understanding small business is so far down the chain of command mm. and requirements or priorities when you run a council. So um, what are some of the ways that councils are forgetting about small business? You mentioned in our, our pre-prep that, you know, for example, the City of Sydney are trying to remove parking for competing reasons like putting in extra bike lanes. Mm. Um, how does your relationship with councils speak on behalf of small business in that way? Yeah, I, I, I think your question talks to the, the theory of what we're going to be doing in the future and, and, and the practice of what we're doing now. So there's, there's a lot of talk about driverless vehicles, for example. Um, there's, there's obviously a drive to um, have uh, vehicle ownership go down and, and we start using mobility solutions um, you know, such, as, such as Uber and the like. And, and what we're talking to local government about is the, the now, the today, and, and taking technologies that just, again, remove something as, as old-fashioned as a, as a parking ticket machine or removes a, a permit off the windscreen of a car and not only does those obvious things as I just described them but brings all these other, other benefits like the mechanism of paying and the, and, and the ability to connect it to your, to your payments and the lack of cash collection for the council and there's all these, all these you know, very numerous and yet important benefits to, to, to the council that they can enjoy today and I believe... 
build a path towards that futuristic situation of, hey, I've got an app in my hand, I can do a range of things with it. I might pay for the train, I might call a rideshare service or I might pay for parking. Um, we, we just want to bring all of that together and when you've got a cloud-native solution such as ours, it's, it really creates a foundation for that to happen. Does your solution also provide data to councils where they can start to analyse the reason behind why people are visiting the area and therefore, you know, understand that one of the main draw cards for any area in Sydney is having a thriving small business community that people want to visit? Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you asked that question because that, that is one of the main benefits of this type of technology. So with, with, our, with our parking app... Um, not only do we zone up the parking around the, the, the business district or whatever part of the council it might be in to give parking-related data such as occupancy back to the parking provider, but we can also, in a fairly anonymous way, say, hey, a certain um, percentage of your visitors are coming from this postcode and a certain percentage of your visitors are starting their journey from, from this other postcode at the other end of town. That is That is something that the technology we're replacing simply cannot provide. It's anonymous. You go and buy a parking ticket, no one knows anything about you. Um, and, and, you know, again, even with licence plate recognition technology, which is used for, for a range of reasons, in, including infringement issuance, um, you know, we can provide a report to say there's a certain percentage of repeat visitors to this street. We see ABC123 four days a week. You're basically creating an economic development strategy for council because they don't have that sort of level of data, do they? They're they're basically tapping into information about tourism that they wouldn't otherwise know and... um, and therefore being able to strategise with who to how to draw people in from particular areas around Sydney or beyond. Yeah, and these, these, these are, again, fairly basic benefits that come from implementing technology such as, such as this. And, and as we were talking about before the show, when we, when we take a technology that replaces permits, for example, and we combine it with a technology that allows for casual um, parking payments, we can bring the two together. And then a, a local resident might, for example, go to the beach in a, in a beachfront uh, municipality and not be charged for parking because they're a resident and they've got a permit in the permit system. And the politicians really like the idea that they can increase the revenue for the council by charging the visitors to the area who want to enjoy that beach more and potentially charging their local residents that voted them into government nothing or, mm. or substantially less. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely mm. got that political advantage to it. Mm. How does an app or a piece of technology like this um, actually improve um, or reduce traffic commuting issues? Yeah, and we're, we're seeing the apps um, in the industry broaden out and, and offer more than just a payment mechanism. So when you bring in complementary technologies such as sensors and, and camera-based technologies that are constantly looking at whether a parking bay is occupied or not, you've got some fantastic benefits such as real-time availability in information in the parking app. So there's, there's, there's a figure that gets broadly thrown around in our industry, um, so much so that I think everyone just takes it as, as truth and gospel, and that is that 30% of traffic in a central business district is traffic looking for a park. Um, so if you're able to say to a motorist via the dashboard on their car or the phone, you know, suction cup Wait, to, hang to on the a second. windscreen... Back up the truck. 30%. 30%. That's a huge in amount a, in, of pollution. In a city like Melbourne or, or Sydney, yeah, is, is someone driving around either trying to find the entrance to a car park or look for a parking bay on the side of the road. Lordy. 
Yeah, and, and, and as the point I was trying to make is if we can communicate through technology to that driver and say there's no chance of you getting a park <laughs> in this street, there's an excellent chance of you getting a park in this street, just go straight to where the parking's going to be and don't do that hard work of, of doing laps around the block hoping. No, don't do the environment. Don't make the environment do that heavy lifting either it, because, it, you know, yeah. we all know that sitting in traffic and letting your engine run isn't, isn't great for the environment, that's for sure. That's right. We're going to take a quick break here on Small Biz Matters and when we return after the break, I want to speak um, with you a little bit more about selling to government and what that process is like and... <laughs> You know, we hear a lot about state government in particular. I know New South Wales is just about to roll out an an education program to assist small businesses with tapping into the procurement process and making it easier. Um, I thought it might be good for them to hear from a small business operator what, you know, what what they can do to make life easier for us to... um, to get into those government grants and government funds. You're listening to Triple H. We'll be back after this. This episode of Small Biz Matters is proudly sponsored by the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman's Office. Led by Kate Carnell since its establishment only four years ago, Aspifio has provided education, advocacy and support, including free assistance if a small business is involved in a dispute. The office also provides assistance for disputes that fall under the franchising, dairy, horticultural and oil industry codes. Kate Carnell, as an independent advocate for small business owners, has the legislative power to influence our nation's lawmakers, ensuring legislation and regulations are put in place to help small businesses grow and in these times, survive. Small businesses are the engine room of the economy and it's Aspifio's role to do all they can to ensure they have the freedom to innovate, employ and thrive well into the future. So today we are speaking all about that age-old problem for small businesses, which is parking. I know we all talk about cash flow and digitisation and getting a website and being online, but you know what? It doesn't matter how far we go in terms of technology. Parking is still an issue. And it, it proves, proves to be an issue because of the competing needs of a community, whether it be wanting to park or businesses needing the parking available for their clients or the tourism aspect that local councils are trying to draw people into. And that's what we were discussing just before the break with Michael Doherty from Smarter City Solutions. So, Michael, I want to talk to you now about how you sell to government. Um, Anybody who's a small business and who hasn't done it before probably would see it as quite a large mountain to climb. The procurement process, uh, getting certified so that you're able to even speak to government in the first place and then how to break down that door to get to government funds um, so that you can be accepted as a uh, an agency which can sell to government. How hard is that? has that process been in your opinion? It's, it's a tough slog, to be honest, Alexi. Um, there was a point in time about eight years ago where I actually campaigned <coughs> pardon me, in, the, in the state of New South Wales to allow my technology to exist. And only in the state of New South Wales there was legislation preventing it. And the legislation stated that a vehicle parked on street must display a, a parking ticket. So you even had sort of some archaic laws in place that yeah. meant that technology couldn't thrive. Yeah, absolutely. And for a small business, you can imagine it's a, it's a challenge to engage a lobbyist and to connect to certain levels of government and then find out that some of the things you're being told aren't truthful and you end up in a fairly lengthy process. And, and, and thankfully, the, the outcome of that was that the legislation in New South Wales 
was changed. But yeah, it is it is a mountain to climb. Um, anyone who starts up a small business, creates a piece of technology uh, with a plan to selling it to, to, to government needs to really understand that it's it's not going to be a quick process. When you say it's not a quick process, let's say an example of you create an app, you see that it's useful for, um, say, local government, it's, mm. let's say, the environmental space, for example, and you want to sell it to government. What would you say is the expected timeline um, to be able to go through the entire process of get, getting that government contract? Realistically, it's it's on. I think the short answer to your question is around twelve months minimum. Um, It's it's a it's a building exercise. So you you need to become known. Um, You need proof of capability, which might mean implementing free trials. And and even in order to implement a free trial, the challenge from a sales perspective is finding the individual within one of your target organisations that's got the appetite to say, yeah, I'm going to give this new thing that nobody's heard of before from a company that nobody's heard of before, I'm going to give it a go. Uh, that's that's one of the main challenges, and then and then sort of sowing those seeds and and, and making that bear fruit. It takes a lot of effort and and a, and a lot of time. And once you've got that viable product, the process of becoming a provider to government have they simplified that at all in the last few years? I think some uh, levels of government, certain states around Australia, for example, have um, made it a little bit easier to get on a panel, for example. So there's there's technology service provider. Can you describe what the panels, panels? are? Panels. Um, the, rather than different um, different divisions within state government and maybe even flowing down into, into local government, rather than them going through all of the bureaucratic process of working out whether a potential supplier is fit and suitable to supply to government, uh, the panel process does that ahead of time. So my organisation, Smarter City Solutions, exists on some panels and that just makes it a little bit easier. It's not a fast and streamlined process, as as you might hope, but it does make it a little bit easier for an organisation such as a council or a university even, for for example, um, to to put out some requirements to panel members and then receive proposals and then then, go and procure from those organisations with some kind of blessing. Isn't it... I mean, pardon me for the dumb question, but isn't it a conflict of interest if you're one of, on one of those panels and you're trying to sell to government? Like, aren't you making decisions about lots of different businesses that might be relevant, or is it a panel specific to your industry? So, no, it's not. It's not necessarily industry specific. So, you, you might take a state like Queensland. Um, they will. They will create. Um, they've, they've got something called local buy. Um, it's. It's just a, a, a forum for organisations, government organisations that need technology to go to that marketplace of panellists, if you like, and have a look at what's available, knowing that there's there's no backyarders, they've passed some tests, they're viable organisations, they've provided financials, they've, they've gone through some hoops to say, yeah, we're not only uh, got this offering that we can sell to you either you know, online, in person, whatever it might be, but we've got this, this badge that we wear with pride that says we jumped through some hoops. Mm, okay, yeah. so you get to get to a certain <clears throat> process before you're, you're at that, that level. Mm. Uh, is it the same? You're a national product, so is it the same across every state, the process, or do you find that... A little bit difficult with the fact that each state behaves differently. 
they they do behave differently. Um, there's not there's not a massive amount of difference. And and to be honest, Alexi, with our offering to local councils, we're we're knocking on the door of each and every council. So you know we've we've got a target list of, of organisations that have a, a parking regime suitable to, to match to our technology, and, and we're talking to them one by one. What uh, what does get interesting, and this happened recently in New South Wales, is when the state starts to play in our space without consultation, and and you wake up one morning and you realise that the the game's changed a little bit, and and there's allegedly. A, a different process for a competing product where they can just go in without tender, without needing to be on that panel, uh, and, and you know the, the the playing field gets gets tilted slightly. But so yeah, and you, you've you've got to you've got to remain aware, and you've got to you've got to keep your finger on the pulse. But that's a funny combination when you're talking about sales cycles that can be in excess of 12 months. Mm. And is it helpful when New South Wales government, for example, is rolling out this procurement process to make it easier in an education program, I guess, for small businesses? Does it help when they implement something like that? Or is it um, if you're not good enough to play with the big boys, you shouldn't be trying to procure to government in the first place? Oh, look, they, they set the bar and, and different states have done similar things. So I'll just assume for a moment that New South Wales is going to be very similar. They, they set a bar that, like I talked about before, to say, you know, are, are, you, are you worthwhile uh, an organisation to sell to government? And if you are worthwhile and you, and you pass that bar, then fantastic. You, you get on to this list, essentially. What does get a little bit frustrating is when the operators of that list, in this case the state of New South Wales, don't market it the other way. So if I've got my local government organisation just doing what they've always done, just going to their contacts or going out with an advertisement in the paper and bypassing this panel, you start to call into question what's the value of the, of the, the procurement you know, facility that the state's put in place. So that process is really important because I know that, you know, we hear all the time about local governments getting into trouble because they're going outside of the process and it's jobs for the boys and mm. that's not a great process. Have you come across any other situations where it's a little bit where, say, state governments have bypassed the uh, procurement process and gone and given, oddly, um, you know, a contract to a company that didn't seem to go through that procurement process like they should? Yeah, up, and, up until a couple of years ago, the answer to your question was no. But very recently we've seen, as I was alluding to before, um, in the parking payment app space, where we've now got New South Wales government as a competitor, a direct competitor to us. And, and what really hurts is, is that that, A, didn't involve much consultation with our industry and, B, meant uh, revenue obviously taken out of my sales pipeline and, and put into the state governments. But you know they, they they align themselves with an old-fashioned parking machine company in the process. So the thing the thing really seems a little bit a bit strange to me. So yeah, if if we were a smaller organisation than what we are today, having been in business around ten years, it it would be potentially threatening to our to our future existence. Um, I'm confident that we'll survive, and we do a lot of business outside of our home state of New South Wales. But, yeah, that, that, that question that you ask is certainly quite topical at the moment. Mm. And it sounds to me like you've got a certain amount of confidence in the process to make sure that those procurement panels continue and are adhered to at all levels of government. Um, and in that way, that keeps the process fair. Would you say that's, at the moment, the, the most fair process rather than government departments going out and doing something outside of those? 
Yeah, some, something that might be of value to the listeners is, is, is one of the benefits of selling to government is there's always a fallback of a freedom of information process, right? So we, we don't like to, to do it, but if we feel that something's gone on that really wasn't right, then we're not afraid to, to sort of go digging and say, let's, let's um, you know, go the FOI route and just see if we did lose that uh, opportunity on legitimate grounds or yeah. whether, whether something something strange happened. And there's been scenarios where, um, you know, decisions are put before council at council meetings and they get changed at the meeting. Um, that's always an interesting one. So someone doesn't like uh, what the the process that the organisation went through to procure a product um, is, is, is going to result in, so they, they switch it. And, and I think there's rules in place in most councils where by if the councillors vote unanimously for something, then then all procurement that's gone before it can just be overridden. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's been some learnings, as I say, in the last two years uh, on, on my part. And you've, you've certainly got to be thick-skinned and, and learn to, A, roll with the punches and, B, put some strategies in place to try and, try and bring that back on track. Um, how important is a professional association, an overarching body for organisations such as yours or, or any small business in this in this process of procurement? Do you rely on them for that expertise and that and that um, experience? Yeah, absolutely. I think is the is, is the answer to your question. So, Parking Australia is is an organisation that I've had some involvement with. I've been on some some technology panels um, for Parking Australia. But what the organisation does. Is, is lobby government and, and stay in touch with the trends that are happening all around the country and obviously able to, to aggregate data. So some of us don't like talking to each other as competitors, but we're happy to talk to the, the, the uh, peak industry body and that allows the industry body to, to sort of do things like quantify the size of the industry, take that information to various levels of government. And, and also I'm noticing that they're an independent consultant essentially so if someone again is thinking about going down a certain procurement decision and they want an independent uh, opinion they can always call our industry association yeah they can always call parking australia and say i'm about to do this do you think i'm doing the right thing and and the answer might be yes you're doing the right thing and you're not the first to do it it's been done over on the other side of the country which you probably weren't aware of yeah and 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 the and the aggregated data thing Mm -hmm. i think that that Governments love real, up-to-date, real-time that VAPS can provide now data to help them with their transport information. And I guess a peak body can take all the information that all of you have mm. and, and make it non-competitive and say to government, look, this is why it's important that you take this, this industry seriously because it's not just about um, infrastructure projects. It's not just about movement of people and commuting. It's about small business. So in a way, you guys are kind of advocating for small business too. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, to, 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 to your point, if you take an umbrella subject like um, movement and transport, the intelligent transportation across the country and the world, the, the industry bodies a great voice to sit at the table and say, hey, parking plays a role in this. Mm. And um, by the way, you know, I've got some great stories from some of the member businesses, some of whom might be quite small, and, 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 and we can get that conduit of com- communication from the start-up right through to, you know, a, a federal strategy, for example. Yeah, you guys should uh, talk about organising yourselves and, and, um, and join COSBOA as the, the Council of Organisations Australia because that's even like a peak body for the peak bodies. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, now, the last thing I want to talk to you about is um, is disability permits because mm. in amongst all of this, if we're talking about fair and equitable discussions and talking about parking, invariably that always comes up as a topic. Um, why is it, it... Would you say it's problematic or, or something that helps to make everything more fair? That's, that, that, that's a nice segue and I'll explain why in a second. But with, with technology and moving away from stickers and, and uh, pieces of paper on dashboards for paid parking, um, you, you, you're essentially moving all of the vehicle identifiers to the licence plate, right? And when you then say to the, the parking organisation, the parking officers, you don't walk around anymore, you actually drive a vehicle equipped with licence plate recognition technology... And, and most of them are, by the way. Yeah. yeah there's, a, there's, there's a lot of Iconics and, and, and other Nissan Leafs and those sorts of things out there uh, being used by local government as patrol vehicles. When, when you make that switch and, and you work out whether someone's paid thanks to their plate, you work out whether someone's got a permit thanks to their plate, the, the theory is that it can deliver absolutely enormous efficiencies but currently there's one stick in the mud, and that is the disability permit in Why Australia. is it a stick in the mud? Surely you can... It Doesn't that make technology help to make it more streamlined like everything else? The person... Is it because the person is the person with the permit, not the vehicle is the person with the permit? Yeah, a, a disability permit is given to a person, and, and, and that is a physical card that is stuck inside the windscreen of the vehicle in which they're travelling on, on the day. Mm. So it doesn't necessarily need to be their car. They may not even own a car. Mm. But, um, yeah, as, as I've alluded to, there's, there's mature technology that allows a smartphone user with an app to say, I've got a permit, um, today I'm driving this vehicle, and there's the licence plate of the vehicle. And to date, when that conversation has come up with disability groups, it's been met with resistance. We like what we've got. We've got a simple card we keep in our pocket. This person might be disabled because of their age or a whole range of other other reasons or ailments. Um, we don't want them to have to mess with what I suppose five or ten years ago was this new fandangled thing called a smartphone. But I believe in 2021, we're at the age now where we need to be able to say there's actually benefits in not having to carry around this silly card. Let's get the, the, the person caring for the disabled person or the disabled person themselves using a very simple process where we, we switch uh, a permit on based on the licence plate in an app and uh, that then completes uh, the process and allows local government which are funded by, you know, you and I, to work very efficiently and not have, you know, pairs of, of parking officers walking the street and essentially being very inefficient. Mm. I, I do understand where they're coming from, though, because obviously uh, uh, somebody with any sort of level of ability may struggle with an app or may struggle with um, even using a, a phone and even may struggle with the concept of change if we're talking about a sort of a mental health condition. So it is a balancing act. Mm. But um, interesting to see that something that archaic as a piece of paper and a uh, you know, a sticker that goes on a car is still mm. is still the thing that is a stumbling block for um, the progression of the industry as a whole. Look, it's it's been a fascinating discussion. I really appreciate you coming into the program because, like I said, this is a touch point parking as an issue for so many different aspects of the communities in which we live. But as we grow as a society, um, governments in particular are trying to keep us living, working, and and behaving and you know, living in our, our local areas and shopping in our local areas, and that's certainly good for small business. And I think technology like this is certainly good for small business. How can people find out more about your product and what you do, Michael? So we're um, always working on our website, which is smartercitysolutions.com. 
um, yeah, check it out. There's contact details on there. We're, we're always open to have a conversation with uh, anyone at any level when it comes to their parking challenges. And, and it's topical. We're actually having some parking challenges in our own business at the moment. As we grow, we bring on more staff. Um, so there's an app for that. <laughs> there's, there's, a, there, there's an app for that. Oh, but the yeah, irony. It's certainly been a pleasure talking to you, Alexi. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the program. Now, if you've missed any of today's episode, you can catch up where you get all of your small business education podcasts, whether that be iTunes or Spotify or Overcast or wherever you download podcasts in general. This is number episode 204. So we are going gangbusters and you can listen back to the entire back catalogue completely for free, available to you. Special thanks to Aspifio, our sponsors for today and ongoing. And I look forward to speaking to you all next week with another great show here on Triple H 100.1 FM. My name's been Alexi Boyd and you've been listening to Small Biz Matters. This week's episode was proudly broadcast from Triple H Studios in Sydney, Australia and sponsored by the Office of the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman. If you've enjoyed listening, go ahead and give us some thank you stars on your podcasting platform. It would be much appreciated. Then head to the Small Biz Matters website where you can listen to over 170 episodes, read more about our speakers and find out how to become a media partner. See you all next time.